Welcome to the Bleep Midlife Bulimia podcast with Sarah McMahon, poet, blogger, and marathon runner. Hi, everyone. I am Lorianne. I am the host of Bleep Midlife Bulimia, and I am very pleased to have today Sarah McMahon, and she is a poet, a blogger, and also a marathon runner and a recovered, uh, well, partially with eating disorder, which also included bulimia. So thank you so much for being with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So we're going to start off, seeing as this is about bulimia, can you tell us a little bit about how that began and a little bit about your journey through it? Yeah, I think the first time, um, well, I think my eating disorder started really young. Like, I was probably like 10 when I started having disordered eating behaviors and I became like really aware of, um, you know, our bodies and weight and everything and people's like stigma towards larger people. And so I didn't want to be large and like, you know, as a little kid, you don't really know um, how to not be large. And I was also growing still. So um, I started, you know, restricting food really young. And then I joined a cross country team. So I started running really young, like about age 12. Um, but I didn't start throwing up. I didn't start like really engaging in bulimia until I was 18. Um, and I was like, <laughs> I had like one foot out the door of like my parents' house. Like I had a college scholarship to go run. Um, and I was all excited about the future, but then my mom got diagnosed with cancer. And so, um, I just was like home alone. I didn't really know how to like manage my emotions and everything. And I started just like kind of like stress eating, like binging a little bit, but then I would feel so guilty. And then I figured out how to make myself throw up. So then I was like, oh, I cheated the system, you know, like I could eat and throw up. And it was like really gross and like really lonely and really sad. Um, and I, I didn't do that like a ton, but when I went away to college, I was a, a college runner. And so um, weight was also really emphasized there in a pretty unhealthy way. And so um, I started doing uh, like engaging in bulimia more often just because um, I was restricting really heavily, but then sometimes I would just like eat a lot of food and then I would throw up. Or even if I just ate a normal meal, sometimes I would feel so guilty that I would make myself throw up. Um, but yeah, it was really uh, isolating and really kind of uh, terribly sad to be just like, you know, kneeling in front of a toilet by myself and not understanding like why I was doing what I was doing, but also not able to like let it go. So, yeah. Where do you, I mean, I personally believe that a lot of bulimia comes from emotions that, I mean, it, it does start off quite often that you don't want to be big, but then I under, I, I quite often wonder, I know society has a certain amount of that, but why individuals themselves don't want to be big? Like, I'm not talking about, I, mm. almost to the point of being larger than, the person standing mm -hmm. next to you mm -hmm. and which is I think it was a lot yeah sorry I think it was like also a lot of shame you know like being picked on for being too big or feeling um ashamed about my body in some way or also having like people comment on my body like when I was younger and, and like just make make comments about my body you know like it would be like family and also like coaches or teammates or whatever people would say often oh you don't look like a runner because I'm like um pretty muscular and I run long distances. So they'd be like, oh, you don't look like a long distance runner and stuff like that. And then I thought something was wrong with my body and I was like ashamed of that. So I think uh, the root emotion was probably shame um, and not knowing how to deal with that shame in a healthy way. So, yeah. That is strange because I, I still remember I was about nine years old when they told me I was big, but I was big, but not so much as far as large weight wise, but I was so tall 
that everybody thought that I was overweight because when you stand on the scale and you've got people who are like, you know, five, six inches shorter than you, obviously your weight's going to be bigger. So from that point on, my whole thought of myself was being big. And, mm. but I didn't equate it to food at that, at that age. Um, unlike you, where you started quite young in mm. being aware of the different, you know, restricting your food mm -hmm. uh, to do that. But I would imagine too, that you were, I mean, if you were running, were you very competitive as well? In regards yeah, I was very competitive. Um, I was really fast in high school. I, I mean, I earned a full ride to run a, a division one school. Um, and so then when I, when I got to that like level of competition, it was really intense. And um, I was racing against really elite runners and a lot of long distance runners are really like lanky and thin. And um, I just was never lanky and thin. Like I just pretty muscular. And so um, I always thought like I was comparing myself to them. Like, Oh, if I were thin like them, I'd be faster. And I was there to be fast. So it was like kind of this vicious cycle of trying to make my body into something it wasn't. Um, and just getting really unhealthy in the process. Now, do you, just a question, do you believe that somebody who is smaller necessarily is faster? You were doing long distance? Yeah, in, in uh, college, I was running like uh, cross country and indoor and outdoor track. So cross country races were like 6K and I would run 5K and the 10K um, on the track. So uh, especially the 10K, like those are just like all, <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, that's the longest distance on the track. And it is like, a, it's really fast. I mean, I was running like five, 20 minute miles or something. So, um, so yeah, so a lot of the girls that I was running against were just like thin and runners are like really skinny sometimes. Um, and that's what everybody thinks a runner should look like, you know? Um, and looking back on pictures of myself at that time now, I was like, I was so skinny. Like I think that to myself now, but at the time I didn't feel that way. Um, and I was still just more muscular than, um, the, the girls like around me and stuff like that. And it wasn't like fat, you know, like I wasn't fat. I was just like musk muscular. And, um, I don't think that it made me I don't think, I don't think it has to make you slower having more body mass, you know, there's like a fine line between, um, like my coaches would always talk about race weight, like, have, like being as light as you can be, but not getting injured. <laughs> um, and we found out like my race weight, but then I was like, well, if I'm lighter, then I'll be even faster, you know, but then I ended up getting injured. So. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. So from the point now you are recovered. What led you to your recovery? I think that that's important for listeners to hear about. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, um, I guess it was like a single event, but it was also the accumulation of a lot of events because <laughs> I was, um, so miserable, like living this life of like restriction and, and throwing up and being really lonely. And like my college experience wasn't very fun because I was so isolated because of my eating disorder. Um, and I remember I was living with my boyfriend um, at the time and I was ordering all these like diet pills and appetite suppressants and like laxatives and like all sorts of crap from Amazon. And I opened the box one day and I, he came home early. He's like, what are you doing? And then I was like, oh, I think I have a problem. And then we talked about it and I broke down and it was really difficult. And he kind of encouraged me to seek help. So I went to the campus like mental health center and I was supposed to see this therapist for an hour, but I ended up being like two and a half hours. Like it was a long time. And she kind of was like, we can't help you here. Like you need more help than we can offer. Um, so then she referred me to like an offsite um, outpatient program. And I was kind of like scared. I was definitely scared, <laughs> but I was also a little bit relieved because I felt like I needed help, but I just didn't know how to like express that I needed it. So 
but you were ready kind of to move to the next step, which we were talking about is really important to want to find that recovery. Yeah, I did. I think I did, but I didn't think I did. Like it was scary. It's scary to let go of your like habits and your eating disorder. Cause it's just terrifying. It's like the things that you feel like make your life solid or something. But, um, but I was also really like deeply unhappy. And I think I knew that I was unhappy and I, I remembered a time of my life when I wasn't so unhappy. Um, so, and I was just super unhealthy. Like, um, you know, like my teeth with like enamel was wearing off and my hair was getting thin and my liver was like, my liver enzymes were really high. My doctor said, so I was anemic, like everything was kind of like breaking down. And I knew I couldn't even like continue to run well if I was like having all these physical problems. So there's a lot of things that coalesced into me finally getting help. But, um, I mean, I was like engaging in all these behaviors for a very long time before I finally sought help. So your boyfriend was fully supportive of you. Like, I'm sorry, but I remember the first guy I told, he broke up with me. Wow. Wow. No, he was very supportive. Yeah. I'll definitely give him that. I'm not with him anymore, but he was very, very kind. And I remember he went with me to um, my first session and he like waited outside for me. And I thought he would be gone because it was so long, but he was still there. He was still waiting. Um, so yeah, he was very supportive. Yeah. That's very important. So you're doing uh, writing and blogging and I've read some of your stuff. Obviously not all of it is about eating disorders. You've got some beautiful stories up there as well, but you have started, I believe mm -hmm. that you're, you're working on a book as well on, on your. Account. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think it's important to uh, kind of like, cause I know a lot of women who um, maybe were athletes and they fell into an eating disorder and then they kind of gave up their sport entirely. Um, and I was able to kind of recover and then still like do the thing I love, which I think is really important. Um, and also like telling my, like a little bit of the story of my childhood. I grew up in like rural Northwestern Wisconsin. And, um, it was kind of isolating just being up in like the rural Northwestern Wisconsin. Like my town was 1200 people. It was really tiny. Um, and just like running was like my lifeline out of that because I knew I could get a scholarship and then how I just like, I like needed it in order to leave and then it coalesced with my eating disorder. So it's kind of like a complicated, somewhat complicated story, but, um, but yeah, I have a lot written, but I'm not sure when it'll be done. Cause you know, I have like the first draft, but now I have to make sense of it. <laughs> well, no, I get that, but you're that far ahead. So it's, uh, it should yeah. be longer. That's wonderful. I think that it is something that that people do need to read about and quite often you see that uh and and i this is a nice story in that it's not just about uh, you hear about a, a lot of young girls that they want to get into modeling and that will but but we don't hear so much about you know the people who are in sports that it can affect as well uh like you're you're running so mm -hmm. it's uh it's interesting to see the side of it i know that you were injured did that cause any further, um, did it cause you to go further towards your bulimia? Because I think you were talking about you, you lost some muscle and you became, your clothes started getting larger on you. Um, did yeah, that yeah. It, it, that's a good question. Cause yeah, it did. It, it made me like even more like, deep, like it just led me deeper into my eating disorder. Um, cause I suddenly I couldn't work out. So then I was like really afraid of food. Um, and I was, I had hip surgery when I was like 22. <laughs> so, um, 
I, well, I think I was out for like a year. I couldn't really run or do much. And I was like rehabbing the injury and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I stopped eating. I dropped a lot of weight really fast. Cause all of my muscle, like I wasn't using my body, you know, so my muscle mass just kind of disappeared. And then, but then I got like really obsessed with my weight, like seeing how low it could get. Um, and I just like, I remember not eating for days and, um, just drinking lots of coffee and doing all the wrong things, you know, that I should have been doing for my body. Um, but definitely, I think it was like a coping mechanism. Cause I had like this huge, like running at that time was like a huge part of my life, a huge part of my identity. And suddenly it was gone. So, um, so yeah, I just like dove really like head first into my eating disorder. And then when I started being able to be active again, and some of my muscle mass was coming back, um, then I got like really scared too, because I saw my, the weight go up on, on the scale, but it was mostly cause I was able to like use my body again. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then it was the year after that, my injury that I went and sought help. So, so yeah, I guess that the other thing that we don't think about is that you're, you're losing your muscle and yet muscle is so important. And it does weigh yeah. fat, so it's better to have them than not have it there. Uh, yeah. One thing that I realized, I mean, even to this point, you know, during COVID, I mean, I worked out regularly and I kind of shut that off. And I noticed that, you know, even being recovered, I'm also very, you know, aware of the fact that I want to, you know, stay healthy in my weight. I'm 58 years old. I don't want to, but I noticed that you sit there and you go, oh, yeah. There goes the muscle and here comes a little bit more flab. Yeah. <laughs> the flab kind of hangs. <laughs> so, and when you get muscle, it, it builds it up again. A different perspective on life for me today that I then when I was bulimic in regards to that. Um, do you feel that your perspective has changed since your recovery? And I mean, you're running marathons now and you're doing amazing. So um, yeah, yeah. My perspective about... Um about what exactly? About the, the thinnest versus the, you know, your, your, um, mm, mm -hmm. your athletics and how the importance of the health and the, and, and of the body versus back then when you were binging purging, because yeah. really, I guess being a certain size, being comfortable in who you are is what I'm trying to get. To. Yeah. It's actually been, um, I, I run, um, like trail trail races and ultra marathons. So they're like, you know, 50 to hundred miles, um, like in the mountains, like on trails. So, uh, it doesn't really behoove me to be super tiny and like very frail because I would probably just like break myself. Um, so I have, um, kind of have like this new emphasis on strength training and, and building up my, my body so it can handle like those like long, hard miles in the mountains. And it's really made me appreciate my body more. Like sometimes it's easy for me to be like, if I'm in a, if I'm at work or like with a bunch of my girlfriends who don't run or something then I'm like, Oh God, I'm a like muscular and stuff. And I don't feel like clothes fit me sometimes, but I'm also like, well, I can run up a mountain, you know? Like, <laughs> so that's kind of been empowering to feel. And also, um, when you run ultra marathons, you need to be like eating during it uh, and taking in nutrition. Cause sometimes you're out there for like 12 hours, 15 hours, 20 hours at a time. So, um, so the importance of food kind of like was really drilled home for me. Like I need to eat in order to continue to move. <laughs> and it, you can't really like I, back in college, I could push through a 5k or even a 10k, um, without much fuel. And it was okay. Cause it was short, but like these longer things, I need to be really on top of my nutrition, my, my, uh, hydration and my food. And so, um, so I think it's been kind of helpful in a way because it's made me really hyper aware of like what food can do for me. Like it can really bring me out of a lull or, um, I'll like be like bonking or something. And then I'll eat some 
some food or something and I'll feel amazing, you know, um, and I can keep going. So, and, and just, I never thought I would do like a 50 mile race or a hundred K or whatever. Um, but doing something that you thought was like impossible is really empowering, you know? So, um, that it's, I think it's been really good for me overall. Yeah. That's really interesting. And it's, it's funny that you say that because that's one of my, my big things is that for some of the people who are struggling through bulimia, I think that one of the first things and people would say, well, it's a mindset and such and such. And there's a certain mindset in wanting to recover, but I do believe that being bulimic causes, you know, the, we're talking about the mental illness. And I know that you were speaking to that. I don't think that it helps it because of the lack of nutrition that you're, you know, your brain is not getting what it needs to be in the right mindset to be able to mm. recover. And I think that once you get there and once you have the proper eating, then it's an easier, um, it's easier to get past the struggle and to understand it. Um, I don't know, like today, like I always say to people, um, I'm just excited that I can sit down and have a meal with people and not worry about where the next bathroom is or where to, you know, get rid of it and, and being comfortable with myself and what's Mm -hmm. at peace. And, uh, and that's really important. And I love hearing the stories of recovery because I think that they're really important for the listeners to know that it is doable. There are some people out there that feel that once you're bulimic, you're always bulimic. I don't believe that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. My my, I, I don't have any desire for it anymore. Um, I understand that you know different people are different, but I do believe that with the willpower and you speak to willpower that there is that that way of getting to the point where you just don't want to go back again. I mean, it just becomes a lifestyle that you live that it doesn't exist anymore is I guess what I'm trying to say. So. Yeah. And I've, I definitely, um, I heard that from lots of people that, you know, um, I used to go to EDA meetings, eating disorder anonymous meetings. And um, there were people that were kind of like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to have this for my life. It's something I'm going to grapple with for the rest of my life. And I agree. I don't agree with that sentiment because I'm so far past it that I don't think about it that much. And I can talk so openly and freely about it now. And I don't find other people's comments to be triggering or, you know, and I can go and eat a meal and not worry about the calories or if I should throw up later or if I overeat, I'm not like wallowing in self-hatred and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's really important to for your listeners to know that, yeah, you can get past it. You don't have to be, you don't have to label yourself like a victim of an eating disorder for the rest of your life. Exactly. And I like yeah. what you said, we, we don't need to be victims to it at all. And, and you can, you can get past it. I really appreciate this. Now, is there anything that you want our listeners to know, but I know that you're a blogger. If you want people to go read your blog, if you, you know, is there any, yeah, tell us about yeah. you, tell us about who, about you. <laughs> um, yeah, my blog is at the prosiest. It's www.theprosiest.com, P-R-O-S-I-E-S-T. Um, I post every Wednesday or Thursday and Sunday, and I started it to, to write about my eating disorder, but um, I've kind of branched off since then because it's like, how much can I say about it, you know? <laughs> I kind of got tired of writing about it, um, so I, I kind of write about a lot, like a lot of different things, um, mental health a lot, um, and I'm working on my book. Um, and I've written a book of poetry. It's called, I like it cause it's pink. I think I have a copy laying around here and my poems are um, meant to be performed. So I used to pre COVID like perform poetry. Um, 
So that was really fun. This is my book. It's called I Like It Because It's Pink. You can find it on Amazon. Um, and I write, I write some poems about my eating disorder. There's one that's pretty fun. That's like, uh, it's like a conversation with my brain. Like I don't under, I can't understand why I can't understand my own brain type, type of vibe. So it's kind of fun. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I like my Instagram's mostly like, you know, running content because that's like, I get like sponsorships and stuff through that. So. Oh, anyway. beautiful. And yeah. what is, where, where can you be found on Instagram? Um, my handle is McMountain. It's a nickname that some of my friends gave me, but it's just MC M mountain, MC mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, and that one that you were talking about, about your brain, is that in your book? I like it cause it's pink. Yeah. Yeah. That poem's in there. Um, I think it's called Hey Brain, that poem. <laughs> hey Brain. Hey Brain. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you being with me today and sharing your story. And uh, I'll definitely have this uh, with below. There's going to be the notes when we do that so that people can uh, find where to find you and get your book and read your poems. And awesome. I appreciate Thank you well, so thank much. Thank you so much. Okay. I appreciate sure. it. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com